Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, experts, and moms around the world. All right, everybody. My four-year-old Sabrina, she is in a princess stage. Actually, our infant I just put her in a onesie this morning that said, call me president, not princess. And then she threw up all over it. So it was a quick costume change, but I did get a picture that I'll share with everyone. But back to Sabrina. She's four. She's super into princesses. She's also into Star Wars. And uh, she's in this like weird witches with potions phase. But I really actually love how she always wants to wear sparkly skirts with her sneakers. I feel like she's found a good balance. On Atomic Moms, we now have this private Facebook group, so you can find the link to join it on the regular Atomic Moms page. And so last night I asked listeners uh, that are in this private group, and everyone just join us with that, um, I asked about the princess thing, and I got a great response from Jessica Coulter who wrote, at first I resisted, but now pretty much anything that excites my daughter excites me. However, when we read princess books, I always change the words. Instead of, and then they were married, I say, and then she went to college. The end, which I thought was hilarious. And then also my women's college has a private parenting page on Facebook. And I was digging through that and I found a comment in July from Emily Sorter, who's an education consultant. And she wrote about the whole princess thing. I try to make my daughter explain why she likes the princess and what the princess has done that is worthy of admiration. Then I compare it to a woman in real life who's done something similar, which I thought was such great advice. So, of course, I asked permission to share these, join our private group. And uh, I got to say, everybody, you know, forget the whole don't judge a book by its cover because the book we're talking about today, The Feminist Guide to Raising a Little Princess, How to Raise a Girl Who's Authentic, Joyful, and Fearless, even if she refuses to wear anything but a pink tutu, uh, the book's got a fantastic cover. My guest today is Deborah Blatcher. She is the author of this fabulous book. It's a Tarcher Perigee. Did I say that right? Yeah. Tarcher Perigee paperback. It's on sale November 11th. And she's written novels, humor, personal essays, scripts, grant proposals, newsletters for disorganized NGOs, content for obsolete websites, IT brochures, a mediocre college thesis, refrigerator notes, letters for the prime minister of Israel, and doodles of three-dimensional boxes. She lives with her husband and two kids. Um, That I pulled from her blog. So, you know, she's a funny lady. But I also got to just throw it out there that she also writes for The Rumpus, McSweeney's, and The New York Times, which I go to all three of those all the time. Devra, welcome to Atomic Moms. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be on this podcast. So I usually start the show by saying, and mothers around the world, and you are a mother, where on earth are you? Where am I calling right now with this uh, country code? I am in Luxembourg in the middle of Europe. It's uh, cloudy and rainy. (laughs) And it's like 8 p.m. for you? Yes, exactly. My kids are upstairs. They're going to sleep. My husband is uh, sequestering them. So they don't interrupt our podcast and we don't have a BBC dad moment. Exactly. Oh, boy. Yeah. The BBC dad moment uh, where he was so much was kinder. Everything. It was everything. And also, I've shared this before, but I watched that 
And, you know, the commenters, there's always so many commenters um, being like, you know, why wasn't he, uh, why didn't he re- acknowledge the child's presence more? And I was like, that dad did a great job with the interruption. I would have been like, get out. It would have gone viral he in did. a different way if it had been. <laughs> he was He was a hero. Um, so, well, good luck with your kids. If they interrupt, uh, no worries. We're all moms here and it happens all the time on my front. And so it'll just make me feel better. Um, I kind of hope that, uh, he isn't able to completely wrangle them. Um, so how did you end up in Luxembourg? Let's just start there. We are in Luxembourg because, uh, my husband accepted a job here. That's how we're here. And you can write anywhere in the world. That's pretty convenient for you. Yes. Yeah, it's a good gig for me. I can't complain because he took this job and now I'm able to write whenever the kids are in school. And um, yeah, it's a good gig for me. So you realized you were onto something with the whole princess thing when a post you wrote for the New York Times, the mother load, everyone knows about that. Um, you wrote a post that was, turn your princess-obsessed toddler into a feminist in eight easy steps. And so you wrote this piece, and it went viral. I want to share real quick two of them because two of the steps, just so everyone gets, uh, you know, a taste of your voice. That sounded weird. You know, (laughs) guys, I've had coffee. No, I like I like, you know, I prefer you read my writing than me speaking. I'm more comfortable with that. Well, that's actually how I feel, too. But um, personally for myself, but I'm just it's so much fun that I got to share this. Okay, so wonder aloud, what with Cinderella's history as a cleaner, if she and Prince Charming are likely to share the division of labor in their home? Remark that if the immaculate state of his white gloves is anything to go by, it's difficult to imagine that he ever takes out the garbage. And then you have step four, which is. Praise Belle for her love of reading, but seg into a discussion about the Stockholm Syndrome as it relates to women and how that might shed insight into the phenomenon of women who stay in toxic relationships. And Beauty and the Beast just came out again. And yeah, it's I loved it, but it's also so creepy. And I don't really know how to like <laughs> handle that. It's so creepy. It's like, Belle, get out of there. Like, what are you doing? Um, so I really appreciate it. I'm going to share this uh, on all our social media because it was hilarious. But were you surprised by how popular this post was and what a nerve it hit? Yes, I was surprised. I write humor as a kind of self, self-therapy, self you know, when I'm trying to work through something. And it's a, a really good strategy for me personally. But then I put it out there and the New York Times accepted this piece. As you said, it, it went viral. And I was really struck by by how far it spread, the response I got, and um, and it told me that I was not alone in this situation of having princess-obsessed little girl and having conflicting feelings about having a princess-obsessed little girl. And it might have also hinted that you had a book here, you know? I mean, I'm so excited by the fact that you went down all these different rabbit holes for this book, um, which we'll get more into. Why are girls obsessed with princesses? Can you just explain that to me to start with? Like, what is it? Is it the glitter? Can I explain it to you? You know, my sister loved princesses, but we're we're older, right? So my yeah. sister loved princesses. So what did it mean for her? It meant she pretended she was a princess. She played, you know... I didn't. I never loved them. So I think little girls have always loved princesses. But what has changed since my sister and I were little girls between then and now is now there's a very intense marketing machine mm. directed at little girls. Um, 
encouraging, enabling, um, you know, exaggerating this tendencies that some little girls have to love pink and princesses. And so it's gotten a little out of control and out of hand. But the, the why do girls love princesses? One of the the explanations I read from social scientists is that there there's a stage where identify with their gender. Um, and that that means more now than it used to because there's more room for kids to express themselves in different ways. Um, but there are some little girls who really, really want to identify as a little girl. And the way they do it at age around three is to get really into pink and princesses. I went to a birthday party recently where they gave, you know, the girls, like the princess stuff and the boys, the knights night kind of stuff. How do you feel about that personally? I kind of want everyone to have the same thing. I'm, I mean, I just feel like it's personally, I feel like it's kind of weird how they separate the genders with the gift giving and the the theme. It's sort of like, well, what if my daughter wants the knight or what if this little boy wants a princess or king or whatever? I just, what are your thoughts? Right. I mean, once upon a time that would have horrified me. I would have thought, no, you must get, you know, gender neutral toys for kids. (laughs) Everyone wear Um, yellow all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And um, now I'm more open open to the idea that little girls might like one thing and little boys might like another. But I think you're absolutely right that when you're giving gifts, you should leave some room because, you know, when I say that some little girls love pink and princesses, that's exactly what it is. Some little girls love pink and princesses, but some don't. And some boys love pink and princesses. So I think that you're tapping into something really important, which is to give kids room to follow their passions and their preferences without any uh, expectations. Because one of the things that happened when my daughter got really into it is, you know, it's not what I wanted for her. I, you know, before I had a kid, I just never imagined that I would have a a girl who was so into these, um, you know, over-commercialized marketing, pink, princessy, you know, the whole Mm -hmm. princess culture seemed antithetical to what I wanted to give to my daughter, which was to, to have room to express herself in any way she wanted. Um, And in the end, I had to accept this is the way she was expressing herself. Yeah, I love how you talk about the need to control in the book and becoming more aware of that because for Halloween, I really wanted Sabrina to be an astronaut. I'm from Houston, and my mom had gone through the Houston airport, and uh, I guess they had a gift shop with, you know, like the NASA stuff, and I really wanted her to be an astronaut, and my girlfriend Bridget was like, oh, so that's your feminist agenda. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. no, she's going to be Merida or whatever she chooses. But that's such a great point because we can end up discrediting what they actually want by being like, we're open to everything, not just princesses, can kind of become this like anything but princesses. Um, And and I love how you delve into that in the book and sort of like, okay, well, as a parent, I need to recognize that that's a way of controlling. Like I'm not, I shouldn't be steering her away from something um, because that's right. kind of my own, my own stuff. Was right. your sh- Unless I felt that was really destructive. And yes. in the end, you know, the more I looked into it, the more I felt like, you know what, it's, it's actually not there. I didn't see any evidence to suggest that princess play was going to lead her down the wrong road. And, you- and that was, that that was against what I had expected, but that is what I found. And you even contacted 
uh, formerly <laughs> princess-obsessed girls, right? And you share right. uh, sort right. of what their experiences were growing up, and and what what was the biggest surprise there? Yeah, I put out a survey um, for for young women because this is actually, if I can just back up for a, a minute, this is the first you know the first generation of of girls to have fall down the princess merchandising rabbit hole are coming of age now because Disney really only started this marketing campaign in 2000. Um, that was originally reported by Peggy Orenstein. Um, but I won't get into that now unless you want to talk about it later, but it really only started in 2000. So the first generation of girls to, to be targeted that way are coming of age now. So I was interesting, interested in talking to them. And um, I put out a survey and, you know, without exception, everybody who responded was an intelligent, eloquent young woman. Um, None of them felt that their princess obsession had an adverse effect on them. They all felt it was positive. Um, You know, there was one woman who thought maybe the body image Mm. was, was negative, but the, but Except for, I think, one woman, uh, the rest of them were very positive about their their um, their past as as princess obsessed little girls, <laughs> and that was great for me to to be in contact with them and hear them, and also hear all the various um, aspirations they had. You know, mm-hmm. um, they were all over the the map in terms of their career aspirations. And it was it was great. I was happy to be in touch with them. It was your sister. You said that she was princess obsessed. Um, yeah. Did she end up living in a castle? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> was she super psyched that her niece also shared this uh, passion? Yeah, yeah. And she also, you know, her, you know, she shared the the Disney magic with all her kids. Um, and for it's it's been a it's been positive. You know, I think for. Women, my age, you know, I grew up with what I call the sleepy trio of Cinderella, Snow White, and Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And those are very regressive princesses, you know. And they, a few of them actually sleep through their story. And uh, they're not very active. Not very, more than one. They're not active participants in their story. The, the storyline is the same, which is that they need a prince to save them. And that is is not a great message for any little girls to no, uh, to absorb. But the princesses have changed and they have evolved. And uh, to their credit, Disney has made a, an effort to offer more empowering storylines for little girls. Well, so it's changed. Well, to go back to Snow White for a moment, I want to applaud you for having a chapter in the book about consent. Because, you know, no one should kiss you unless you're awake and would like to be kissed. Um, nope. And, you know, we're... Aurora, too. I think Aurora, too, <sighs> gets kissed asleep. So <laughs> let's... I, I want to commend you also for writing this chapter pre... I'm laughing, but I'm crying. I know, Sorry. exactly. I mean, what else are you going to do? So you obviously, pub, you know, sent in your final draft before the whole Harvey Weinstein thing and how this is really coming to a head now uh, about consent. Can you talk to us a little bit about what your thoughts are on that and why you included that chapter? And I'm curious if there was any pushback at the time about including something about consent uh, in a book about 
you know, four-year-olds? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, the book is for the parents, but right. no, there was no, the, the, there was no pushback from my, my agent or my editor or anything like that. I myself felt conflicted about it mm. because I felt like, um, does this belong in this humor parenting book mm-hmm. about raising princess obsessed girls? Uh, but it is the feminist's guide to raising, <laughs> to raising um, princess obsessed girls. So, you know, the, the thing is, one of the elements of the princess culture that is not positive is the passivity, you know, the letting things happen without speaking up and making your voice heard. And in the end, I thought, no, because it's uncomfortable, it, it does need to go in the book. And it is a humor book. You know, I don't I don't uh, deal with it in the way that it actually needs to be dealt with, which is in a very um, direct and serious way. But I did decide to include it because because it's uncomfortable and um, it does belong in this kind of book, because what we want our our all our children to learn is to trust their own voices, speak up and don't avoid saying things to make other people uncomfortable and let your needs be known. Uh, You write candidly about depression also in uh, this book. And yes, it's a humorous book, but you do write about depression. And by the way, as my husband's a screenwriter, he's done a TV show with a bunch of stand-up comics in the past. You know, humor and depression seem to go hand in hand often. Uh, I'm I'm wondering about your story with depression and and how it influenced your early stage of motherhood. Um, yeah, but I'll I'll talk about that. But I, you know, I think your your husband tapped into something because I do think a lot of people who choose comedy are making a deliberate choice to focus on the light and the funny because they might have a depressive past. And I definitely made that decision. Um, and, but in terms of motherhood, you know, for me, I, I was in long-term depression throughout my twenties. And when my husband and I started to talk about having children and by then I had, uh, been on antidepressants and I had found other methods, including meditation and exercise that really helped me. Um, but I, my, my big fear was that depression would come back when I had children because I had seen so many w- women I know fall into postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that's my tendency. So I did have that fear. I was really lucky. I was really lucky. Um, it didn't happen. And, um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, and my other fear was that I would pass on this gene to my kids. But, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book is is the fear, you know, all this fear, the fear that I'm going to pass on depression to my kids and the fear that the princess obsession is going to have an adverse effect. And all these fears mm. don't serve me, don't serve my kids and um, and are really just obstacles to living your life and to raising your kids with with you know, with joy. I'm smiling so big right now because that's, I just, I love that you hit on all of these important themes and do it in a way that feels uh, approachable and digestible. And um, it's just, 
it's really, God, humor is just the best. I, I don't know. It's healing to me. And if you can't laugh about stuff, especially all the ways that we're, you know, we think we're messing up, then yeah, then it's, it, it, motherhood can be, or just life in general can be a dark place. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. No, thank you. I mean, and it's gutsy. I mean, I love how, but then again, like that's the humor, right? It's like you can share all of these gutsy, important topics like consent, like depression, like biting, which I want to get into, you know, these serious topics, <laughs> but you can do it in this lighthearted, approachable way so that we can learn something, but also not get more in our head about it and more stressed out about it. Like the the levity, I think, is so important. And it's something that can oftentimes be missing when it comes to learning how to be a better parent or just not be a better parent. That sounds judgy, but like how to like be, I'm going to sound like Oprah now, be the best version of our <laughs> of ourselves. Um, okay, let's talk yeah. biting because you you dealt with that and I Did love you have that a you tackle it. Have a no, I've got a kisser, which is like a whole other thing happening. Um, yeah, you say ah, except a lover, not a fighter. No, she's definitely a fighter too. <laughs> she was like, uh, if you're getting me a Meredith dress, I need the bow and arrow. Uh, no, actually, so a month ago, she has a Disney book. Uh, that she always wants to read at bedtime, and it's a, a ton of the princess stories. And before bed, she I went in to kiss her, and she opened her mouth to kiss me. And I said, Sabrina, what, what is that about? And she goes, she goes, that's how you really kiss. I was like, um, no, that's how adults kiss. And she goes, I go, where did you learn that? And she goes, that's how Eric kisses Ariel on the last page. God. And I was my, like, oh, my God. Today. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So she's learning how to French kiss from Disney. Thanks, Disney. She's Good. four. Yeah. Um, but so back to biting, though, because that can be – that's such a triggering thing. And we haven't talked about it much on the show um, because I haven't had to personally deal with it, thank goodness, although she did bite me once. Um, I want to ask you about – what did you learn about that stage? You know, how, what was your experience like with your daughter? Um, and then also, what would you say to parents who have had their kid bitten? What would you say to those other parents, you know, it, as a biter I, parent? You know, just just coincidentally, I was talking to my daughter about it tonight. And, I had, you know, she's six now. And I never discussed her biting phase with her, but we were just cuddling on the bed and I was just, you know, and she, she nibbled me playfully mm. and I said, you know, you used to bite. And I told her her whole biting history, you know, and I made sure to say, um, but it's okay. Kids bite. It happens. You know, there's a certain percentage of kids who bite. I, just, I went, didn't want her to feel um, like there was something wrong with her, that she had been a biter. Um, but when Mari started biting, I was mortified because she was hurting other kids and I felt so bad about it. And I started to talk to a lot of parents and read up on it and every single resource and every single parent that I spoke to said the same exact thing. And, and preschool teachers, I spoke to a few preschool teachers and they all said a percentage of kids bite and around age three, the biting stops. And, you know, until that registered, I was, you know, I was making sticker charts and I was 
I yelled at her a few times, which I'm really ashamed of because she was two and they can't help it. You know, it's an oral, it's, it's like an oral fixation thing. And I, I'm not saying that parents shouldn't try to stop their kids from biting. Of course they should, but we also need to recognize that this is um, a developmental stage. Mm-hmm. Toddler aggression is, is, um, is normal and it passes. And, um, and a few months before she turned three, she stopped biting. <laughs> and I don't know if there was any connection between the sticker charts and everything <laughs> and her stopping. But empirically, I would say there was no connection because, mm-hmm. because they bite until they stop biting. So I would definitely ask parents whose kids have gotten bitten. I know it's, first of all, I just have to say that Mari is my second child. My oldest child did not bite. One day he came home from preschool with a huge bite mark on his arm. I couldn't believe it. I thought, what kind of child would do such a thing? Right. And, you know, I know that the universe sent me a biter yep. <laughs> to get off my high horse because, oh you know, I'm the same mother. Yep. You know, and I had and I had a son who was so gentle mm-hmm. and then I had a, a daughter who, who bit. So I would just really request from the parents. I know it's hard your child goes to school and they get hurt and it's, and it's horrible. And I, and I've been through it, but it, um, it does, it, it is part of the developmental stage of being a toddler and a certain percentage of kids bite and they stop. And, um, and we should give them a lot of love and compassion. Yeah. (laughs) The biters and the non-biters. Um, and you know, talk to the preschool teacher and, um, and they can, they, maybe they can help you. Well, that's also so important to remember with all of it, with the princess obsessions, because you talk about how that only lasts a year or two as well. And right now, my daughter's regressing with sleep, and it's driving me nuts because I'm also, mm. you know, so basically all night long, I'm going into one of their rooms, either the infant or the four-year-old, and uh, it's nutty. But then I have to remember, like, it's just a phase. There's going to be another one. You know, it's constantly evolving. So there's no point right. in really flipping out or freaking out right now because there's going to be a different thing to freak out about in a month. <laughs> it's so hard to remember that in the moment, but that's absolutely right, you know. <laughs> Don't and, worry, and, everyone. There's and, always and another difficult stage coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take uh, solace in that. Um, but I think that's that's very, very helpful advice with the biting because I, I think in general when there are issues with a child at school, you know, the other parent can think, that they get upset about the parents, but you just want to sometimes say like, hey, I'm so sorry. I feel really awful about this. We're doing the best we can. And it isn't really a reflection on the child. Like we shouldn't label the child as bad or that, you know, because it's just a stage. And also we should give parents the benefit of the doubt that they're doing everything in their power. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I feel bad that I feel bad for all the guilt that happens. With as a mother of a child who has, you know, left kids out, um, who has hit, you know, you just want to be like, I feel really bad about this. And I'm also trying to take care of my kid. And I love that you mentioned in the book that you realize that you need to stand by her, you know, that she's you're her ally, which I I think is a really powerful and important statement because I've I've found myself in the past being so apologetic that I, I didn't necessarily feel like I totally had my own daughter's back because I was frustrated with her that she did that. Um, so to I come think, at her with I compassion. think a lot of us go through that with our first kid and then we learn 
then we learn, you know, no, we really got to support our kid, you know, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean excuse all behavior and enable all behavior. But in the end, we're their, we're their parent. We got to be, we got to be with them. Can we yeah. can we switch gears real fast? And because I haven't had a chance to talk about this on the podcast, the whole Disney collector craze and the dumb, <laughs> dumb, 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 dumb unboxing—it's like all my daughter wants to watch. She would give up everything if she could just watch those stupid YouTube videos where the woman has creepy fingernails and talks in this high pitched voice and um, makes play doh dresses for Disney characters. Please talk to me about her. Just like unload it for me because. I, I can't. It's it's out. It's so crazy. I admire her fingernails. I think you know the <laughs> time and the effort that she and you know and and with good reason because that's all we see of her, right? So right. I think they're you know maybe that's why amazing. I think it's creepy because it's like these amazing. disembodied a picture of Hello hands. Kitty on each fingernail sometimes <laughs> or a different princess and kudos to her for yeah, you're so much nicer really than me. Really fingernail art, yeah. <laughs> But I think like a lot, a lot of what kids like is just insipid, you know, and they like repetition and they like, they, they just like things that mystify us as sentient adults and, um, and it can drive you crazy. And, you know, and also like, they'll always choose the book that's the most banal book and they want to read it again and again and again and it's like a different angle but I think that Disney collector you know falls into that category of just something that you cannot understand (laughs) on the other hand I would just say (laughs) that on the one hand you can't understand it and then you watch enough of those videos with your daughter and then at a certain point you just think you know what I want to make a Play-Doh dress for your magic clip dolls that sounds like a really like that's just my fingers are itching to do it now because you some you know somehow the creativity of what she's doing is a little infectious so you know at first it's um it is mystifying but eventually it it was a little i gotta say i opened up my heart to disney collector and i would add that i think she really I know we only see her hands, but it seems to me that she's really enjoying playing with those toys because she's not the only unboxer on YouTube, as we all know. And I think that, but I, like, I think the other ones are just not feeling it, you know, like they're, <laughs> they're phoning they're it in, phoning it, they're phoning <laughs> it in. And she seems to really enjoy what she's doing. Yeah, because so they're, chasing, found, they're chasing the views, her. but she originated it probably. Um, that's so <laughs> insane. You know, I have to admit also uh, to give her props. This is the thing about parenting, right? You you end up with these things that you just like, it's this love-hate relationship with everything for me right now. Uh, that might be the sleep deprivation. But I will say without my prompting – Sabrina did start designing dresses from Play-Doh for her figurines, and um, yeah. and that was really cool and has, uh, you know, I probably owe Disney Collector, I owe her a lot of meltdowns when I have to take away my phone, but I also owe her a lot of hours yeah. of creative play. So, um, She's the project runway of... Uh... <laughs> Of small children. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Okay, so they when publishers send me galley copies, and there's always these sample questions, and I usually throw them in the trash because it feels like cheating. But uh, there was this one question that I'll read for you, and I'd love your response. Um, it's, what do you hope readers will take away from your book? 
I hope that readers will will take away that the if if they are worried about the prince's obsession, I hope that the, this will ease their minds because um, I, I really looked and I tried to read all the studies that examine girls who love princesses and love princess play, and there's really no evidence that links this stage with a later stage of lower self-esteem or or the other problems that can come along with some adolescent girls. So I hope that they'll relax. And also, if they're not already laughing at it, they probably are laughing at it, but just in case (laughs) that they can just laugh and enjoy this stage because it's quite delightful in a way, you know, it's hilarious. You know, there was a a time when my daughter would not leave the house without her cape. Yes. And I'm there right now. (laughs) Uh, seriously, great. She's a superhero in her mind, you know, and um, and it's wonderful. And there's, you know, and I, and you know, I'm not there yet. But adolescence comes comes along, and to a certain extent, it is going to rob our kids of their spark. Right? That's what oh. happens. So oh. as long as 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 they're just living in that imaginative world, it's wonderful, and um, and we should enjoy it and encourage it. That is so beautiful. And thank you for giving us uh, the gift of presence that, that in reading this book and in speaking to you, it's like, yeah, this is a really crazy time. Um, And my daughter has like a bucket somehow of sand in her shoes every day. Like just like buckets (laughs) of sand in her sparkly, her sparkly glittery shoes. And, uh, and that, that, yeah, that that will pass. Like there will be a day pretty soon when she's not going to have all that sand in my yeah. house. And there won't be, uh, you know, the, oh, I'm, I'm not going to go down this path. It's going to depress me. Um, but I'm going to give her a big hug when she comes home after school. And we'll probably do some uh, uh, Play-Doh project runway, as you say. <laughs> so thank you so much <laughs> for writing this. And thank you for speaking to me all the way from Luxembourg. Thank you. And I just want to say you're a rock star that you do this with a baby. Oh, I was not functional you. at all. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. I want to just, I want to be like, no, I'm not, but I'll just say I'm working on it, everybody. I'm going to accept the compliment. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. <sighs> okay, listeners, um, let's see. Join our private Facebook group. So you're going to go to uh, Atomic Bombs podcast, like search that on Facebook, and then you'll see the link to the private group. And there you you can like answer questions and stuff and like you don't have to worry about your boss seeing your answers or your spouse or your mother-in-law. Um, so it's a really fun community that we have started up. Uh, we're also on Instagram at Atomic Moms. Go to AtomicMoms.com for our show notes and for a link uh, to Deborah's website and uh, for ways to purchase her book. All right, everybody, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.